Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that pontificates on the issues of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have news stories including some interesting features on the new Kia Sportage, Cupra comes to Australia, Tesla Model Y is on the books, reports of parking offences and how to make some money, and we have lost the voice of Gogomobile's greatest ambassador. And so in our feature story, we do discuss the role of Tommy Dysart and the Gogomobile ads that brought the car to our attention, and we hear some stories about using it in promotional events. We have some feedback, and finally we road test the high-performance Alpha Stelvio Twin Turbo V6 SUV. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. So let's get this program going. First, the news. Kia introduced their fifth generation Sportage medium SUV late last year, and it's all new. So far this year, their sales have doubled, and for the month of May, they are up over two and a half times. For May 2022, Kia was the second best-selling brand in Australia. The base model Sportage, two-wheel drive, lacks a few features, such as one-touch locking and unlocking doors, but it is still very much a modern car. With suspension tuned for the variety of Australian conditions and an interface with the driver and passengers, that is extensive. There are several ways to tailor your preferences and store them under your name. From playing gentle sounds to recording voice memos, it is worth spending time before you drive to familiarise yourself with the options which are quite well explained on the large 12.3 inch infotainment screen. It's important not to get frustrated as you drive if it is not initially doing all that you wish. For example, if you are listening to podcasts and easily obeying the law, you can still get interruptive warnings about speed cameras and speed changes. The first step seemed to be just turning the warning volume down, but it still semi-mutes the podcast. We understand there is a way to turn the warning off completely, but we only became aware of the problem to the end of the test period. Volkswagen's Spanish-based sporty brand, Cupra, has set out the pricing for three models they are launching in Australia. The three models are based around four-cylinder petrol engines of 1.4 and 2-litre capacity, some variants of which are turboed. There is the Leon hatchback, starting before on-road costs from $44,000, the Formentor crossover from $50,700, and the Atika SUV from $61,000. Cooper is taking a number of measures to limit the chances of buyers being disappointed with extra costs. They say they have many features with few options, there is attractive driveway pricing and a five-year unlimited kilometre warranty. Driveway prices depend very much on the state in which you purchase the vehicle. While the first models here are all internal combustion engines, Cupra has a clear strategy towards electrification. They will usher in progressive technologies, including two plug-in hybrid electric vehicles and a full electric vehicle in early 2023. Tesla has listed their Model Y for sale in Australia. 
Information is hard to confirm and the delivery date may be its biggest issue. Tesla says they have delivered 4,481 vehicles this year, but they only delivered 12 in May. Supply problems are a big issue for them. The Model Y resembles a number of other brands that have a tallish SUV-like body and a fastback shape at the rear. There are two models. The base model, before on-road costs, is nearly $69,000, which comes with two-wheel drive and one electric motor. And the performance model, at nearly $98,700, with dual electric motors and a claimed 0-100 km an hour acceleration time of just 3.7 seconds. That's a rate that quite a few high-performance cars could only dream of. Both Model Y variants are also available with Tesla's full self-driving capability for an extra $10,000, which adds a navigate on autopilot functionality, auto lane change and park, the summon feature, as well as traffic light and stop sign recognition. Tesla has been condemned overseas for using the expression autopilot, and at this stage, the safest option would be to keep paying attention and only using it to its full capacity on highway standard roads or with the park and summons feature in defined parking areas. In Austin, Texas, they have implemented a road traffic measure that could reduce illegal parking in a traffic lane and reduce road rage in cyclists and for members of the public to make some money. Their Urban Transportation Commission unanimously approved a bike lane bounty program. Members of the public can use a mobile app to send photo evidence of cars obstructing bike lanes. The person reporting the infringement would then receive 25% of the revenue collected by the city from the fine. There has been a similar program in New York where people can report parked trucks that are left idling for more than three minutes. According to the Department of Environmental Protection, the New York City has collected $2.4 million since the online program started. Collectively, citizen reporters have earned more than $724,000 in total and counting. The DEP said the number of complaints surged 35% from 2019 to 2021. There is no need for a modern truck to be left idling. This is a leftover behaviour from when trucks might prove hard to start. G-O-G-G-O Sadly, we have lost the voice of Gogomobile's greatest ambassador, Tommy Dysart, who skyrocketed the awareness and interest in Gogomobiles with iconic television commercials, has passed away at the age of 86. First with a campaign for the Yellow Pages telephone directory and then resurrected for Shannon's insurance. This Overdrive program and podcast has an interview with Tony O'Donnell, who worked for Shannon's and who drove the promotional Gogomobiles, including in a drag race. I was 16 when I first saw her. Loved her utterly. She was so sweet, so perfect. Still is. She's got a whopping great two-stroke engine under that gorgeous aerodynamic body. Insurance? Well, Shannon's, of course. And that has been the news. When Shannon's got Tommy on side as part of their advertising, you were there at the time? I was, yes. It must have been not so much a coup, but it must have been seen as a, a very great character to have on board. 
Oh, he was, yeah. It was done at the time because he was a recognisable character. And, you know, there'd always, already been the ads for uh, the, the Yellow Pages, given the, where they used the Gogmobile sedan. Yes. Tommy became the recognisable character out of that. I mean, at that stage, Tommy was probably better known than the car. <laughs> to the point where Yellow Pages at one page at one point claimed that they'd invented the name Gogmobile. <laughs> They were completely unaware of the history of the car themselves. <laughs> so we used, instead of using the sedan, we used the Dart. The Yellow Pages was, no, no, it's not the Dart. Tommy's first one was, yes, yes, it is the Dart. <laughs> the other thing that uh, came out of that, actually, was that the advertising company who made it always thought Gogamobile ended with an E. And when it, when it occurred to them that it didn't, one of Tommy's lines in it became, that, that's right, it is the Dart, two Gs, no E. G-O, yeah, I, I wondered then whether it, it, it was wonderful then for car clubs in a way in that it gave character and entertainment and character to people who loved these old vehicles. Do you think it had a, a general fillip for car clubs across the board? I definitely do. It was chosen in the first place because it wasn't in this, this whole car club scene it's very difficult to use a Holden or a Falcon, for instance, without offending the opposite team. So, well, the car enthusiasts, I suppose, didn't even know what a Gogamobile was. But, of course, they had a reasonable history here. They made, they made they had more Gogamobiles sold here than you would imagine, to be honest. I think in the end, out of about 3,000 Gogamobiles that were sold in Australia, about 700, I think, were, were darts. Right. And the dart was uniquely Australian, of course. Oh, was it? Yeah, the Dart was actually only built by by Bill Buckle, Buckle Motors, because the the Gogglebills when they came from originally from Germany were steel bodied things. But Bill Buckle, having had a, a little bit of experience with building the Buckle sports cars beforehand, had a, a bit of skill with a bit of knowledge about fiberglass at that point, and decided for reasons of his own, I suppose, that the, what the world needed was a Gogglebills sports car to go with the sedan. And a couple of vans that they built. A little bit like the Lightburn Zeta. Yeah, depending on your view, either one step up or one step back from the Zeta, I suppose. We won't go there, but I love the, the idea that you avoided the religious, sectarian passion of Holden versus Ford and that you, you weren't yeah. going to the extreme, but merely those who were genuinely passionate right. rather than just hyped up about a, a, a particular brand. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think I'm, I'm, personally, I'm fairly sort of brand agnostic, I suppose. I've owned more Fords than Holdens, I guess. But when people used to ask me if I was a Ford or a Holden man, I used to say I always drive Chrysler. So, <laughs> um, Is that important for a company like Shannon's? that it would be easy to just get a bit of clickbait of putting out just Holden and Fords. I think that was a modern motor magazine that's just been closed down, had that very thing that it had to be Holden or Fords on the cover to get numbers. But you were saying that, yes, it's important for Shannons? Oh, it was, it was very important. And in fact, it's, it's one of those little things that still exists. You'd be aware of the, of the logbook registration, conditional registration logbook you can get now in New South Wales. Yeah. When that was first put out as a sample, it had a 57 Thunderbird on the cover and somebody raised objections there. They said, we want to hold it. So it's it ended up with an HT Monaro on the cover. <laughs> yeah, so, 
those prejudices still exist. In fact, they're probably worse now than they were. There were a number of stunts that you did. Was there one of drag racing? There was one of drag racing because we owned more than one of them in the end. So we drag raced two of them at Eastern Creek. We ran them just before the top fuel cars were, were due to come out. And I used to I'd tell people that the, the, the bills were much much better value to watch than the top fuel cars because you got to watch it for about 10 times as long. <laughs> Those top fuel cars get down there and it only takes about four seconds. Yes. In the particular race that we had, and I raced my boss at the time actually, that he had the healthy one that did did a, a 29 and a half second quarter mile, but mine threw a plug lead off at the start right. and took 44 seconds at a terminal speed of 25 miles per hour <laughs> as I went through the track. As I hit top gear, it just died. Just didn't want to know about it. As far as micro cars go, they're a relatively conventional car to drive, except that the um, H pattern gearbox is kind of the H pattern is kind of turned sideways. So it's left for first, right for second, and then you go forward and left for third, and right for fourth. So once you get used to that, it's not too bad. The gearbox is not the not the most precise thing, I'd say. Now, of course, the Dart didn't have any doors, did it? No, there, there were a couple made that had doors. But, yeah, generally it was, I think in the first place, they'd been built with basic and up and a lower mould. So there was a, a lower half and you could see you could see a, a rubber strip around the middle where the join was. So there was a bottom half and a top half, basically. <laughs> and they just glued them together in the, in the middle. <laughs> um, but I have seen a couple with doors. We didn't have any roof to go with ours either, any any fold up roof. But I, I don't, I can't imagine how you would get in and out of it with the roof up. No. But once you're inside, it's actually quite roomy. Really? In fact, the only people the only people we had at work who couldn't drive it were the people whose legs weren't long enough. Terry talks about a young staff member in Melbourne who tried to do a few clever moves. Two of them were out at, a, at an event down in Victoria. They started doing handbrake turns in it to see what it would what it would do. And when both of them were sitting in it, it wasn't really a problem. You know, not a good idea, but didn't cause a real problem. But the passenger jumped out so he could then go and video it. And of course, they didn't realise that he was also the left-hand ballast. So when the next time they tried a, a, a handbrake turn, because they had swing axles on them as well, it tucked the rear wheel under and it just fell upside down. I used to say it landed on this guy's head, so it didn't damage anything he was going to use at all. <laughs> but yeah, it actually caused it bit of problem and uh, flattened the windscreen. You drove it around the streets a bit. Did, did you get attention while you d- drove it? Oh, you did, yeah. Yeah, we certainly did. Um, the longest drive I had, I guess, was with a street machine show we did down in, in Wagga, where they said we were doing a local tour. But the local tour meant we were out on country roads for a little while to get there. So it uh, it did the job, yeah. I haven't felt nostalgic enough to rush out and buy one. <laughs> uh, Tony, that has been wonderful. I've uh, enjoyed that immensely. I thank you very much for your time. Good pleasure. And that was Tony O'Donnell, who was the New South Wales Business Development Manager for Shannon's Insurance, when they used the late Tommy Dysart, who, among other things, helped the full range of people, from the young to the old, learn how to spell Gogamobile. Overdrive. For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au.
And now a little bit of feedback. We received some promotional material for a new simulation system to help in training, particularly with things like road safety. So we consulted our expert in the area, Emeritus Professor Mike Regan, who has been involved in the interaction of human skills with engineering devices for many years. He said, Simulation is a much used and has many uses for training human skills, for rapidly prototyping the design of vehicles and roads, and for evaluating the design of road user training programs, vehicles and roads. He said, I have used simulators for these purposes for 25 years. This guy, who has provided the promotional material on a new product, seems to be talking about what used to be called in the military 20 years ago, distributed interactive simulation. Mike said he used it to do research in that area for the DSTO. He tried to get people in road safety interested in it about 15 years ago, but it was too hard of its time in road safety. In the military, it's about running a war game in which, say, someone in a tank simulator is trying to knock down a real jet fighter up in the sky. Information is traded between the simulated vehicle, tank, and the real vehicle, the jet, as if both the tank and the aircraft are competing with each other in the real world. Huge implications for road safety, but still currently untapped. And that was Emeritus Professor Mike Regan's note. And our good friend Brian Smith sent us a report on electric and hybrid car owners who have reported a significant change in their attitude when they drive their electrically powered vehicles. Owners of electric and hybrid cars have revealed that they feel much less stressed behind the wheel compared to petrol and diesel vehicle drivers. This is according to a recent survey carried out by DS Automotive, It's hard to check the veracity of that, but it is consistent with what Mercedes have found with their electric trucks. Large truck vehicles with vibrations and noise add to the stress of a driver whether we're aware of it or not. Now, this other survey had 2,000 motorists taking part. About 80% of them admitted that they experienced stress while driving. And nearly 40% of electric vehicle and hybrid owners admitted that their cars made them feel less stressed than previously owned petrol and diesel alternatives. Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia. I've just spent a week in the Mazda BT50 SP, which adds a lot of style and bling to the GT version. The BT50 is based on the Osuzu D-Max, but Mazda adds their own flair, and this is apparent in the external styling that has a familial front grille, similar to the CX-9. I like the styling, it brings some subtle sophistication in a segment where many are going for the rugged look. Inside the SP has an upmarket feel with soft touch points everywhere, leather steering wheel, black and tan leather interior, heated front seats that are particularly comfortable, wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto plus more. Around town the Mazda displays a compliant ride and it was surprising how little you felt road bumps in the cabin. 
18-inch wheel and tyre combination also helps cocoon the occupants as well as offering a wider range of off-road tyres. The BT50 is powered by the 3-litre turbocharged diesel, produces 140 kilowatts and 450 newton metres. It's in a 4x4 dual-cap pickup form and comes with either a 6-speed manual or automatic transmission. Priced from $63,290 for the manual and $66,290 for the automatic. This is a Motoring Minute. I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. You may remember a couple of weeks ago, we road tested the Alpha Stelvio medium-sized SUV, but we had the base model with the four-cylinder engine and an adequate amount of horsepower, and it handled beautifully, but the engagement with the engine was subdued. It wasn't as if it wasn't reasonably powerful. It was just that almost a faint or a distant feeling and sound from the engine. Now, these were the four cylinders, but they do have a Super One, a V6 twin turbo, of which Alan Zervis from Gay Carboys and I have just had a little bit of a pedal. And Alan joins us on the line to talk about that. G'day, Alan. How are you, David? My loins are still girded, I can tell you. I sensed you enjoyed it. Oh, what a peach. Now, remember, we had the sedan version of this some little while ago, and I think you were quite fond of that too from memory. The real thing is any Alfa Romeo one expects to handle particularly well. Do you remember the first little Alfa Suids? They're smaller, neat little things, but it always handled beautifully, and this Mm. does that as well, but it adds the power to it. How much power did we get from that V6 engine? Well, David, I'd learnt to drive in that very Alpha Soot in the year 1200. Now, a lot of people don't believe that. Mm. 1200 it was. God, oh, geez, it rusted, though. The power in that was minuscule. I think it had about 40 kilowatts. In this Stelvio Quadrifolio, it was 375 kilowatts in a car the size of a matchstick. A medium SUV is moderate size in that, but uh, also the torque was not insignificant. 600 newton metres, and I think you found that quite uh, enthusiastic. It's the sort of figures that we used to associate with a big, lumpy, large SUV diesel, that sort of torque figure. So it's it's incredibly fantastic in, in what it's putting out from a 2.9-litre engine. And it sounded well. Certainly, I enjoyed the sound. Oh, between gear changes, it was just, you know, you'd get a little pop out of, say, a a Golf R or a Golf GTI. You'd get that little pleasing pop between gear changes. This was more of a, you know, this was was something altogether different. It was loud and and visceral Hmm. and, in many ways, better than a V8. Yeah, and the gears, eight, seven, eight-speed gearbox. Uh, eight-speed gearbox. Yes, dual eight clutch. Speed. <coughs> no, it's an automatic. <coughs> okay, go. So an eight-speed automatic gearbox? Yes, a proper torque converter automatic, none of that uh, dual clutch stuff here, and it makes the gear changes incredibly smooth because, of course, it's part of the Fiat Chrysler group. So it's it's using that same automatic that's throughout the group. The outside, the, the looks, the exterior, it, it wasn't over the top, yet it was stylish. Extremely stylish. And I think you're a 
fan of those massive uh, five-leaf, sorry. And I think, David, you were a fan of those massive five-leaf clover-like wheels in that kind of inky black graphite sort of look. I found that it was a car the size of the wheels, 20-inch, with those five very round circles like the clover making up the the, the wheel, the rim, I found it looked a little bit almost like wacky races because they're so big on the car, a little bit bigger than proportion might be. I don't think it made it look bad, but it certainly made the wheels stand out even more than one might have expected. Well, because they were black and our car was this uh, iridescent, fluorescing white smallish SUV in my view. I mean, I know it's a medium one, but it looks so small. And the reason it looks so small is because the wheels look so big. Mm. And the reason the wheels look big is because when you and I went to school and we drew cars on our books, that's what they looked like. They had wheels the size of, you know, satellite dishes with this little thing sitting on top. Remember? Yep. And that's what this looked like. It, It looked like a concept drawing. I have talked to how much at hand of well, how did you find it? Spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. It's all-wheel drive, obviously, and the power seems to be psychically shunted from wheel to wheel individually. We talked about it being a touring car, really, isn't it? A grand tourer. I think so. I, I think in the true sense of the word grand tourer, where you once had a car that was big and comfortable and luxurious and it had leather and lovely air conditioning and so forth. This car has all that, but you can take stuff with you. You can put it in a boot. There's plenty of space. It's not huge, but plenty of space. And there's enough power to have fun when you get where you're going. You can get three levels with the four-cylinder engine. And while they've got a price premium for being a bit prestige, they're not stratospheric. No, well, the first one, of course, is a special order, and I think that what they've done is provide a entry-level car for people that really want an Alfa Romeo but just can't quite stretch to almost $70,000, and that's a 64,950. So, you know, if you just wanted to get into a car that looks pretty, still got 147 kilowatts, you've got that. Plus on-roads. Then the next one up, what's that worth? Well, that's, it, there's 247 kilowatt versions, a 64,950 and a 69,950. And then you've got the Veloce or Veloce, and that comes in at 206 kilowatts for 78,950. So a $10,000 or $9,000 dollar jump. But you get some reasonable performance. But to get this ultimate performance in this particular model, it doesn't just become a bit of a jump. It's a huge hurdle. Well, David, you're getting virtually, and let's not quibble about a few kilowatts here and there, virtually double the amount of power, and it's 146,950. Yes, that's about double the price. So we're doubling everything here. And it's not to say that it doesn't have great cachet about it, but it does come with a significant jump from, from the more basic models. Very much in the Alpha tradition, a very distinctive, not over-the-top look, a wonderfully handling car, and in this case, an engine that purrs and roars depending on the situation you're in. David, I think it lives up to its namesake, the famous Stelvio Pass. Alan, thanks very much for your time.
As always, David, thanks. This is Overdrive across Australia. Toyota's Land Cruiser Sahara has always been the name given to the top model in the Land Cruiser range. But now there is one better, the Sahara ZX. It's aimed more at luxury transport with prodigious four-wheel drivability rather than the more focused like the GR Sport. I spent two weeks in the ZX Sahara and travelled some 2,500 kilometres. I have to say it was simply easy to drive and arrived feeling wherever I was going quite relaxed. As a big powerful V6 diesel engine and 10-speed transmission, it makes for lazy highway cruising. Simply press the cruise control, set lid and away you go. The adaptive variable suspension soaked up pretty much everything the road threw at us. On the way back from my trip to Albury, it deluged rain all the way and the Sahara handled it with ease. The Sahara ZX has additional bling such as illuminated sidesteps, front door scuff plates, 20-inch alloy wheels and massive 265-55 Bridgestone tyres. It's priced from a little under $139,000 plus the usual costs. It's expensive, but I know quite a few people that have already ordered these sight unseen. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Tony O'Donnell, Alan Zervis and Paul Just for their help with the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or podcast from iTunes or Spotify. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Listener.